Uh, hey, you all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep. Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do with a bedtime story. Uh, all you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's uh, thinking, you know, stuff you've been, you know, on your mind, uh, physical, you know, physical sensations, uh, like emo- you know, any stirring of feelings. It could could be travel, changes, and whatever is keeping you awake. You know, whether it's something like that or something, you know, that I, I, I haven't been through or, you know, if, if you're just having trouble falling asleep, I can relate. And that's one of the reasons I make the show. And one of the reasons I stress that I'm trying to create a safe place where you could set aside that stuff that offers a little bit of a distraction uh, to take your mind off of whatever it is that, like, that, that, that's got you, that's keeping you from crossing over the threshold to wake to sleep. That's what I, I guess I sometimes I forget to say that, but, you know, I send my voice across the deep, dark night. I try to use these lulling, soothing, creaky, dulcet tones and pointless meanders, over-description with over-superfluous... Uh, there's a lot of superfluous things in this episode. This is probably the only super you'll get. Uh, but to create a place where you say, okay, like, here's the deal with this show. It, 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 it's a safe place where you could... Uh, where you could breathe, ideally, and you see, you like, maybe you could relax and sink into your pillows because you don't, like, you're not under any pressure to listen or to pay attention. But you're also under no pressure to fall asleep. I'll be here for an hour and, uh, like, I'll be doing my best to keep you company, but not, I guess I don't, and I guess I'll just be doing my myself because uh, you say, well, I don't know if I need to, like, pay attention. You know, I just had a fr- friend in town, my friend Anne, and and Anne and Natalie and I used to all live together, and we were talking, the three of us, about, like, one time a long time ago that I may have done one of the first podcast episodes, and it, it was, a, it was a, like, a, let's see, how do I describe it? But uh, it was a bit like this, where I was trying to add everybody in a little bit different place, like one person, li- like everybody was lying down and there was candlelight. And I guess I was essentially, it wasn't to put people to sleep, but it was to kind of take them on a, like a meandering journey. So I guess, I don't know, but, but, but I don't know why I do like, uh, so uh, I guess I got stuck there. Uh, but it was to put people at ease and, um, I don't know, that's one of the show, like, things about this podcast that I strive for is I wanted you to feel welcome, but I want to feel welcome in a way that, like, where, where you can go a little bit slack or you could, that you could chill or you could kick it. I mean, I don't know. Some people probably do kick it at bedtime. Some people might say, dude, what is it, 20 odd five? Uh, last time I used to kick it and chill. And I'd say, okay, well, geez, I think I'm wearing, I think the mostly clothes I got or probably, anyway. I'm glad you're here. That's what I always say at the end of the episode. And since this is a Star Trek-themed episode, we're going to be talking, if you're new here, welcome. So tonight we'll do the first five minutes of the show or what pays will enable us to make the episodes uh, and all the credits, everybody that works so hard to bring you the show. Uh, then we're just starting out uh, intro, which are those are usually about 12 minutes or so. And some people fall asleep to the intro. Some people, it's just is something familiar where they start, begin to start to relax. And other people say, well, 
I like listening to those intros. It reminds me of, uh, you know, a grandfatherly like figure or a friend that, uh, my superfluous friend, uh, with, uh, a strange verbosity. And say, well, thank you. That's probably nice to sing anyway. And, uh, so we'll do that. Then we'll talk about, uh, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And on the intros, I always like to try to find a way to, uh, like make the pie, put the podcast in context by using, like trying to meta, like create a metaphor. And I like to take a trust quote from Star Trek. This one is from Guinan from, uh, Family. The episode we'll be talking about tonight. She says, you know, sooner or later, everybody comes in here and stands and looks out the windows and stares. And they're looking for that little star they call home. It doesn't matter how far away it is. Everybody looks anyway. Uh, and uh, like I think she was implying that when they look, it brings them some kind of comfort. And anytime you talk about home or family, you know, there's like, uh, I guess the, the, there's like, there's different versions. But when I go, like, it's not that different than a safe place or the archetypal idea of a campfire or a fireplace, I think that Guinan was getting at. They look across space, you know, for that great uh, traditional fireplace that, li- like, it's part nostalgia, maybe part in our DNA, that warming, that crackling, that sitting there at a distance and, uh, like, just, just, just relaxing. And that's, I guess, like, what I'm shooting for with this podcast is to create a place. I mean, I guess it is, but, like, a bit like that. I mean, like, in my memories, because it's like, okay, well, one, like, this podcast won't keep you warm, but maybe it'll make you feel a little bit warmer as you snuggle into your bed. And get so you got that. And then you got the kind of, uh, like, uh, the ambiance factor. That's, like, my creaky dulcet tones. It's a different kind of ambiance than a sweet fireplace, especially, like, really nice one. Well, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, sometimes they say, well, it's, it's, it's still got ambiance, you know, even though it's a, it's a different kind of ambiance. They say, correct, thank you. Uh, but then you have the option. So then you have, and then you have the light and the way it, it kind of soothes and it moves and it's inconsistent. I mean, that's one thing. This podcast comes out consistently, but you see, well, if this podcast was a light source, I don't think it would be like a, like a, like a beam, you know, with the 10,000 lumens. It would be more like a flicker, you know, a little bit of, a fl- I've, I mean, I use flickering language, so. Or flickering. They say, well, how do you describe Scooter's tone? Flickering. I'd say flickering. Uh, he's a bit smoky. Uh, not in not in a way that you know, like low smoke factor, but still a bit smoky. Uh, so you have that about the fireplace and or the looking across at the night sky. Now you could be look, you could have a campfire or a fireplace, and you're looking at the night sky. Also, I notice this is off this off subject. When I say looking, sometimes it sounds like licking, just the way I pronounce things. I don't plan. I mean, I guess you could lick the night sky, uh, but you probably it'd be it'd be tough. I think only if you're a Greek or Roman or some other traditional indigenous god from myth, and they probably did do a lot of lick, you know, the licking of sky stuff. Um, so those are things about the fireplace, uh, like the, the image, I guess, is, is that an iconic, iconic thing? Fireplaces, I would say more archetypal because, uh, I don't know what either one of those words mean, but I think, uh, 
archetypal might be. You, you say, well, I don't know. It's a fireplace. I'd say it is. I'd say it is uh, at my uh, pretend university. Well, how about this? It's just an image uh, that, that kind of lives on more than one level within us, whether it's the night sky or the fireplace. And it's evocative. I guess that's my point. In this podcast, I try to evoke those. I sounded smart there. I don't know how many regular listeners got that. I did sound smart there for about four-tenths of a second. And then I said evoke. I'm trying to evoke. But I guess that's what I am trying to do. Evoke is the word. Thank you. My brain, You know, my brain's behind me. I mean, not always behind me in support, but it's usually behind, behind like, my talking. It's a, th- like, I think, I speak, and then five minutes later, I think, and they say, well, uh, that's one of the things that works about the podcast. But the other thing about a fireplace, I think, of about this podcast is, you know, as long as you got it going and you're tending it, or even if you're not tending it, it's there, and it has this journey. You know, it starts out, it could be blazing or it could be a big hassle to get it going. But then once you do, it's crackling and it's warm. And then over the evening, it goes on this journey. And I was always one of those people, I guess part of the podcast was I would watch it, and I would sometimes I would just stare for an hour or two hours or three hours watching the changing of the logs. Watching the cinders and the glows and the embers and the colors. And a lot of times I would be making up stories, like narrative stories or seeing what pictures I could see, you know, within the in the carbon or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but you're not really, like the fireplace doesn't ask you. The fireplace says, Joe, just kick it. You could use me for warmth or you could watch me for hours and hours. And that's kind of what this podcast is. I guess that's a metaphor it's not a metaphor, it's just a fact. I guess it's the spirit I'm trying to evoke or evoke is like uh, that you're welcome here. I hope it feels warm and and makes you feel safe and it feels inviting. And you're also under no pressure. The, the, it'll be here, the audio will be here playing for about an hour, but you don't need to pay attention to it the whole hour. But if you do or you choose to, I'll be here too. I'll be giving it my all. Uh, to keep you company, I don't know, kind of like that image always did for me. I could just, you could just sit here and watch. It'll be like, I know you're here with family. Instead of talking to your family, just stay here and watch. You know, look at these different colors I got for you, and look at the way this light plays against that one. So you know, that's another option. Uh, so I guess that's what what it is. If you're new here, I'm glad you're here. This podcast is definitely different. It takes a few tries to get used to. If you're skeptical. Totally makes sense because this is out of the ordinary. Uh, the whole idea of the podcast is to give you enough uh, so that you don't have to pay attention to whatever's keeping you awake, uh, but not to have to necessarily hold your attention, uh, that you don't have to focus on me, that you can I can slowly fall out of your grasp or you could slowly fall out of mine into a warm, safe place where you could drift across the threshold from wake to sleep, uh, and the reason I make it or one of the things that drives it is because I've been there. And I really think you deserve a good night's sleep. You deserve a place where you could breathe, where you could relax uh, and and drift off or just feel comfortable and, and watch, uh, in, in this case, just to listen to me ramble on for the next hour. And I always say this uh, because I mean it. I'm glad you're here.
And I really hope and I really yearn to help you fall asleep. And thanks for coming by. Hey, everybody. Welcome uh, to another episode of uh, Sleep with TNG. And uh, we're talking, this will be the second episode about family. Uh, Season, (laughs) let me look here. Uh, season five, uh, no, is that right? Season, it was episode two, maybe season four. Of course, now my phone is like, uh, not acknowledging that I was just playing, uh, Next Generation. Yeah, so season four, episode two, that, that was a season four, episode two. And this is our second run through. And the reason we're doing two run throughs of this, so uh, last week was Picard's version, Picard's family episode. And this week will be Worf's, uh, Worf's family episode with a little bit of the Crusher family. And I just broke it up just because it was really in-depth and, and especially Worf's thing with the, his parents I thought was really relatable. Also, I recorded like half of this last night and then uh, the recorder wasn't running. I'm just looking. It's running right now. So... um yeah, so we'll run through Worf and Wesley's story, and we'll skip over Picard's in this one, and we'll, we'll see kind of what comes up. I don't know. I really, really, I, really, I don't know. I, I like Worf, and I thought this was a really good episode for him. Uh, now, the scene does start with, uh, like, uh, the captain's log. They're docked at McKinley Station getting repairs after the Borg incident. And then we have Riker sending off a crew to engineering. Worf comes in. He's kind of looking grouchy. Surprise, surprise. And he's like, geez, I got everything done. Uh, Riker's like, okay, well, here's the final schedule for the personnel uh, and then shore leave and stuff. Actually, let me watch the run through because Worf's Riker's amused. He says something to Worf. Worf looks at his little, uh, his pad, his pad, the one he has right now, looks like an, uh, an uh, one of those portable NESs, the old ones. And he's got, got it. Now Riker's looking intrigued. One eye, one eyebrow's up on Riker, kind of. And uh, looking directly at Worf, Worf looks away. Uh, Riker's kind of speaking with a little bit of authority and inquiry. And now he's uh, dismissing him out of the corner of his mouth. Riker, oh, as uh, Worf heads to the door, Riker says one more thing. He's leaning on a chair. Worf's looking back and talking. This is uh, groundbreaking, groundbreaking stuff. He thinks, he says something, he turns, he turns back, he says some more. And he heads out. Uh, So let's see what it really said. Oh, wait, this is John Luke's uh, run-through. I have the wrong notes in front of me, but I do have the uh, the transcript. Worf says, you know, phasers are done. Riker says, all right. And then Worf says, well, now we're working on power supply. He goes, you're too damn deficient, Lieutenant. Worf says, that's right. Thank you, sir. And he says, yeah, here's the per- final schedule. By the way, looking forward to meeting your parents. And Worf's like, what? And Riker says, yeah, they're on the visitors list. Uh, can't wait. Uh, and Worf says, no, uh, it's inappropriate for a Klingon to receive family while on duty. Uh, as humans, my parents don't understand. And Riker says, well, I don't either, Worf. This isn't a Klingon ship. And if you're trying to dodge seeing your parents, that's your business. And he goes, well, we really, really don't get over here to Earth that often. 
And I'm sure we could arrange for you to have more off-duty time. You know, if you might get off-duty and totally hang with your parents. And he goes, no, 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 please, no. And then Riker says, dismiss. But then he says, wait a second. He goes, are you worried about what happened on the Klingon planet? And Worf goes, or him and them finding out, are you trying to cover up something? And Worf's like, no, no, I told them about my discommendation. But this is where the whole episode, the fulcrum, I believe, Worf says, I do not believe any human can truly understand my dishonor. And let's see, what else came up? I was wondering what the two symbols on his sash are, so hopefully at some point I'll look into that. And then uh, we have, you know, the Picard, Picard story goes, and the episode opens, and after the opening, we have Picard in the transporter room with O'Brien. And let's just see a little bit of the visuals here with no sound. Trying to get through the opening. Seems extra long. Uh, we see a shot of Earth in the ship. It says family and the uh, thing fixing it. O'Brien touching some buttons. Worf comes in. He's already, he glared right at the transporter. And he, he looks, I don't know if Klingons sweat. I would assume they do, but he looks uh, sweaty. I don't know if he's always this shiny. And he's, they're kind of talking. Worf's hands are behind his back. He's uh, walking. He's pacing. He's doing some pacing. And uh, looks, I mean, he always looks grouchy. I don't even know why I would bother. O'Brien, he doesn't look as, you know, I don't want to make any, like O'Brien, like, uh, he's not smiling, but he still looks kind of amused. And uh, now Worf's turning back, his parents are transporting in, his mother's in this beautiful purple dress, and his father's, they're holding hands, his father's got like a teal shirt and then a jacket on, his mom kisses him, she's like holding her hands together under her chin, she's so happy to see her boy. Also should be noted, Worf's parents are human, so he's adopted. Or, uh, I, I can't remember, I don't know the backstory. And now Worf's dad's greeting O'Brien, which we'll cover in the uh, the transcript, the dialogue, part of my notes. Worf's mother also has kind of like a bun, I don't know, an updo. I don't know if she has a bun or an updo. And she also has like a... Stuff in her hair, in her updo, her bun, like, uh, kind of like Troy sometimes has, like, design, you know, jewel, like, a uh, hairpiece. I don't know what you'd call it. No, not a hairpiece. Uh, like hair jewels. And they're still talking. And Worf's kind of like, uh, come on, Dad, you're making, you know, you're making me. And then there's a mother, she's kind of leaning in, uh, shutting the father down, kind of, uh, trying to send the father messages with her eyes. And now they're heading out. And this is what I really like. She touches his hair and Worf's posture. He really, like, his posture really changes. Uh, really good acting. Because his posture is uh, much more passive and his shoulders are slumped. And I wonder how much fun they had with that scene. Uh, let's see what else I got here. Uh, post open, Worf and O'Brien, mother's never on time, so human. And he says, I wish they would come so it would end, like it begins soon, so it would end soon. And O'Brien kind of says, I know what you mean, and Worf's like, unlikely. And he goes, the last time my father, my father was here, he was chasing nurses, dude. 
It's always something with parents. And then there's two to transport aboard. Mother, father. Uh, Mom gives him a semi-hug and a kiss. And dad has a strong shake. And he goes, what, did you put on some weight, son? Sergei's the mom, Helena. Sergei's the dad. Helena's the mother. He goes, you still chasing around things on the holodeck? And uh, War says, let's get going. He goes, no, 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 let me talk to this guy over here. He goes, hey, Chief Petty Officer Sergei Roshenko, uh, USS Intrepid, which I'd like to see the Star Trek. I um, wonder if we're ever going to see, if, or if we have. You know, I miss all this stuff anyway. Like Wesley's dad. Or now Worf's father. And he goes, she's Miles O'Brien. He goes, oh, yeah, don't, sir, good to meet you. He goes, don't call me sir, I used to work for a living. Unlike this officer. And then his Worf's mom says, you know you're proud of your son being an officer. And he goes, oh, yeah, can you imagine someone like raising a, a child that's an officer? And the wife still tries. She says, Jesus, plenty of time for you to waste with the boys. Uh, she goes, your father is so excited, which is really, like, relatable. And Worf's kind of like, oh, oh, great. And let's see, really relatable. I lost my spot. Uh, but, yeah, the father says, yeah, I want to see everything, the whole ship. Uh, he goes, I got all the specs and the diagrams of these ships. And Worf's like, Dad, we're in the middle of a repair. I can't give you a tour. He says, well, why don't you ask the captain? And then his mom says, don't embarrass Worf. Uh, we're here to see him, not the ship. And then he says, fine, fine. And then the mom says, oh, geez, your hair's looking a little long. And that's when they head off. Yeah, excited father. Mom touches his hair at the end as they go out the door. Uh, acting his posture. Show hers. What does that mean? Show hers. Shoulders. Oh. Posture and so shoulders. I thought it said positive showers. Looks back at Brian like, please rescue me. Uh, then we have a Beverly and a Troy scene. This is at uh, 13, uh, 25, I guess. Uh, and uh, Beverly gets a couple mocktails uh, from a dispenser. One is an orange melon color, and the other one looks like fruit punch. And, it, and then she's bringing him over to Troy. So I tried to guess which one would be for Crusher and which one would be for Troy. I was wrong. I had a 50% chance of being right, and I was wrong. And uh, he will going to, question mark, question mark. And then there's a doorbell. Box. Oh, box gets delivered. Oh, her and Will are thinking about going somewhere. I, I, let me, I think I caught it in the transcript. Maybe uh, France or England or something. Uh, but then the doorbell rings, and they say, Jesus, is, it's uh, on the box that says Lieutenant Commander Jack Crusher, USS Stargazer. And it's his uniform and some odds and ends. A book, uh, uh, How to Advance Your Career Through Marriage, uh, and uh, Beverly says uh, it's a joke, uh, his way of proposing. And then there's a card in there, like a digital card for Wesley from Jack. Uh, I forgot. Uh, D. So we'll run through the dialogue. And then she says, are you afraid what it might say? More humor, more harm than good, she says. Uh, perhaps this will help him understand, I think Troy says to her. Uh, oh, Angel Falls, that's where Troy says she's thinking about going. Uh, and Crusher says, oh, Venezuela is great. 
And let's see. Oh, she says, Jake, careers through marriage. Uh, she says, yeah, Jake sent it to me in medical school, way of proposing. And then the disc for Wesley, she says, Crusher says, uh, maybe I forgot it or maybe I was trying to forget. And Crusher, or Troy says, why? And she says, it's a message from Jack uh, to Wesley he recorded right after he was born. A gift for when he grew up. He was going to try to make a lot of them, but, you know, he didn't get that opportunity. And Troy says, well, what are you afraid of? And she goes, well, I don't know if it'll do more harm than good. Wesley's finally come to terms with things. And then Troy, I don't know if this is, like, I don't know what Troy's uh, therapeutic relationship is with everybody, but she goes, well, Wesley has a lot of questions about his father, things you can't answer for him. Maybe this will help him understand. So this kind of turns to Will Smith. I don't know if any of Will Smith's kids will write a song. Like like kids, or maybe Will Smith will write a song about his kids. Kids just don't understand is what, uh, like, uh, uh, Dr. Crusher seems to be saying. And let me see. I'm watching the scene again. I don't know what room they're in. A really big room with a lounge, but not the bar, whatever, 10 forward. And uh, like a pla- oh, like a, it's like a plastic suitcase as opposed to like those tube uh, uh, luggage things uh, with uh, the uniform. Oh, also, you probably want to know. I thought uh, Doctor Troy, or yeah, is it Doctor? Is Troy a doctor? I thought Doctor Crusher was going to have the melon colored drink, and that Doctor Troy would have the red fruit punch drink. But it was the opposite. I was wrong. I don't know. I, I guess, I, yeah, I was making assumptions. Uh, uh, so, like, whatever the melon, you know, the melon ball or whatever, that's what uh, Dr. Counselor Troy is drinking. And uh, right now, uh, Dr. Crusher, she's looking down She's looking down at the, essentially a memory stick. Uh, or, well, no, no, memory sticks don't exist anymore. Like an SD card. But a big, bigger version, like an what are those other ones called? Compact Flash. Professional photographers still use Compact Flash, I guess. But yeah, they're still talking. I'm noticing some a nice painting. I've been noticing like a like a, the paintings. Okay, now we're in engineering, so let's do the visual run through. A lot of work going on in engineering. We have one, two, three. Uh, maybe four extras like working in engineering, and then Worf, his parents, and Jordy LaForge uh, come in, as opposed to all the other Jordys on the ship. And uh, Worf's dad's really talking to Wesley. Worf's eyes are wide, and his mom, she's not happy. Also, you see, like, some, even though, you know, Worf's mom's human. Uh, the way she has her hair does kind of um, harken to at least the same head shape as uh, Worf. I don't know if that's intentional. and uh, But he does seem like a split uh, version of both his parents. Uh, like his, Worf's very muscular and broad-shouldered. His dad is uh, very broad-shouldered. And his mom, her eyes can get wide, and Worf's eyes have a tendency to go wide at things. She has a very expressive face. The dad has a full beard, a very thick beard, trimmed. Ma- makes me think of, uh, like, uh, that he should have been cast in, uh, what's that, uh, 
uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting mixed up. But now he, they're, him and Jordy are having a con- private conversation. Worf's father and Jordy. And Jordy seems to try to be greeting him with a quiet empathy. And the scene ends. So let's see what my notes say. There's a star here, so it must be important. Engineering, there's lots of work, scanning in progress. The tour, Mom, Dad, Worf, and Jordy. Door opens up, uh, and there's glaring. Uh, we have taken enough. Uh, we have something enough. Uh, nonsense. Uh, and Worf's look off when someone says nonsense. And the mom puts a stop to Sergey's story. And, and uh, how about uh, the new engine core? And Worf said, Worf, why don't you show? Oh, like uh, the dad wants to see the Worf uh, and the mom wants to see something. And then like, so Worf go, Worf's father goes off with Jordy, and uh, he says, Commander LaForge, uh, call me when, and then he kind of softens. And you know, we'll get to this in the dialogue. But as soon as Worf walks off, dad mode kicks in and the dad says, uh, geez, there's something I want to ask you about my son. And uh, Jordy says, sure, chief. So let's see. Uh, they go through. Oh, Sergey was telling a story about when they went to school and Worf was uh, uh, like, uh, like Worf was dominating all the kids that had uh, like a, like a, like bad attitudes, saying, like that weren't nice to him. And the principal said, tell me he's an only child. That was the punchline. And then Worf says, we've taken enough of the commander's time. And Jordy says, no, 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 we're ahead of schedule. And Sergey goes, that reminds me of enough story. And then the mom says, that's enough story, Sergey. And that's when he says, geez, I want to see this warp, warp core or whatever. I used to have one on the Excelsior class ship, uh, and Jordy says, that'd be great. How about you, Mrs. Roshenko? And he, she says, no, no, no. Worf, I want to see the Arboretum, I guess. Um, and then he says, Commander Forge, call me when Father wishes to leave. But at the end, he kind of says it nice. And the dad says, oh, I can find my way back, Worf. I know, like, I, I got all the specs memorized. Just like a proud, a very proud like, oh, you know, a little bit over-involved, but in a loving, excited way uh, for his son. And that's when he checks in. You know, he kicks in dad mode because he's worried about his son. Uh, then what's the next scene? Oh, th- let's see. The next scene, I think, is this is going to be, is this our first scene with Guinan? I think it is with since we've been doing this uh, Star Trek Sleep with TNG. And this is a really good Guinan scene. Another character played by Whoopi Goldberg. A character, actually, whose backstory I know is only limited to the few episodes that I've seen with her in it. And other than this episode, those were all casual viewing, so I don't even have any notes. So, you know, I, I can, but uh, another wonderful character, kind of like is a, like another version of a counselor and a wise person, even though, uh, like, not in, not in the elder sense, but like a dispenser of truth and wisdom. In really, really, in heart, I, I don't know, I really, really like this character. I, I like, uh, I think, uh, and I don't know, it just adds a nice thing. I don't know what season uh, Guinan started, and I, I know, like, a little bit about what I've learned about, uh, but, but uh, I don't know. So this is our first Guinan scene, I guess. 
And I'm probably saying it wrong. So it's at the bar, which I think is 10 forward. Mom and dad and Worf. Crew loves you. Uh, maybe this isn't a guy in the scene. He goes, mother and father, I wish you were more reserved. And they say, geez, we're just excited. Like, this is a lot of people have been through this. Maybe, maybe in high school, but uh, maybe as an adult in some other way. Geez, I wish you were more reserved. They're like, we're just excited to be here. And then Worf gets called up to the principal's office by Riker. And then mom and dad, shame, something, I can't read it, share, shame. A worried look goes over mom's face, uh, shakes her head. She stands and rubs her hands and says, somebody says, maybe we should leave it alone. And maybe the father says that because she says, I can't, I'm his mother. And then she goes to the window and dad has a hand on mom, like maybe her shoulder or something. And says, I'll show you mom's shoulder. And then they meet Guinan and we meet Guinan. She shakes her head and nods. One more, one dumb hands. Oh, she maybe she puts her hands out. She says, let's sit, sit together. And I don't know who sighs. Someone sighs. But then she hits a funny line. She goes, this is something I want to ask you about uh, prune juice, which will go to, that'll be in there. And they say, wharf, uh. And he, she goes, like, it ends up, a, well, Morpheus kid, he refused to eat any human food, only Klingon. And he said, geez, it was tough. And she goes, he got through it. Uh, this is where she empowers him, so I'll save that for uh, the dialogue. Uh, but it gets really important at the end, because it says, uh, geez, I'm afraid Worf uh, feels we don't understand him. And they say, well, part of him may... Oh, well, let's read the Dalek, and then because it is really good. Uh, let's see. So when Guinan goes up, she, she comes up behind Sergei and Helena, and she goes, "You know, sooner or later, everybody comes in here, and they stand by those windows and they look out and stare, and they're looking towards home. And it doesn't matter how far it is; everybody looks for it anyway." And she goes, "She's your Worf's parents. Can I ask you something?" She goes, "How come you never gave him prune juice?" And Helena's like, what? And she, she Guinan says, uh, well, he never had it before he got here. Now that's all he drinks is prune juice. And that's when they say, well, geez, he only wanted uh, Klingon flu- food, so we had to learn how to cook it. We never learned how to eat it, but we, it was difficult. And then Guinan says, but you got through it. And Sergei says, well, we didn't do anything special. And Guinan says, really, didn't you? Just look at him. He's pretty special. I guess I just got emotion. Did you hear that? I, I literally did. I, I really feel, I don't know, like Guinan can really, uh, when she does her truth telling, it's a little different because it's this truth of the heart, uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, or the truth of the spirit, maybe. But she says, geez, really, like you did a great job raising Worf. Like uh, Helena says, well, it wasn't easy for him, you know, growing up without other Klingons. And Sergei says, we, we tried to let him discover his heritage by himself and find his own way. And Guinan says, well, so many parents could learn from the two of you. And then Helena says, well, I'm afraid that Worf doesn't feel like we understand what he's going through. And that's when Guinan kind of, she says, well, part of him might feel that way, but there's another part I've seen a part that comes in and drinks prune juice, a part that looks towards home out the window, and the home he's looking for isn't a Klingon empire. The home is where you two are. 
And the scene ends. Also, if you're wondering what Worf's parents are drinking, actually, Worf's drinking a light, like light pink drink that could be prune juice with a, like melted ice. Uh, Sergey's drinking like a aquamarine drink in a tumbler, and then uh, Helena's drinking out of like a like almost like a beet, like a small, thin, tall, light blue drink. Out of, I don't want to say a beaker. One of the ones where you measure, uh, really skinny, like a highball glass, I guess, but even thinner than that. And they're, you know, kind of still encouraging Worf, uh, but Worf's kind of still, now Worf's getting his call to go back up to Riker. And now we're seeing the parents' concern. Actually, his mom is really good. She's made this really sad face, and now they're pacing around the ship kind of, what should we do? We can't just not, we can't, you know, our son is hurting is basically the thing. How do we help them? How do we help him? Now Guinan comes in and she's kind of wearing like something you'd expect, like a spiritual advisor to wear, not a bar. She's a bartender, I think, essentially. I mean, clearly, but it plays a much bigger role in this, but, uh, she's got like a kind of headpiece on covering her whole hair. And then a flowing, uh, bluish green, like a lot of aquamarine. This one's like a, like a bluish green robe. And she sits down and she's got a nice smile, but she has a nice manner of looking like with bemusement as of, I mean, is that bemused uh, as opposed to amused? Uh, but her mom, uh, Worf's mom really gets a kick out of it. She's like smiling too. And really enjoying sharing, like, uh, the story about Worf's food. The father's even laughing. All smiles around. Now it's turning to a little bit of a sad face, you know. It's like, well, it's a little bit tough right now. Son's a grown-up Klingon. And, I mean, this is like a theme for, like, uh, our relationship is moving into this new world now. Because I don't know, I mean, if Worf was a human, I'd peg him at uh, 33, but he could be 28, I don't know, uh, but that's just my guess. I mean, he could be a little bit older, but I'd guess like 33, but I don't know, like, uh, I don't know anything about Klingon ages, uh, but he was raised on Earth, uh, so presumably he, that's around his age, if, you, if you're trusting me, who's just making it up and guessing. Uh, but yeah, it's like really see the full range of Whoopi here too. And, you know, I was a bit, by the way, I was a big fan, uh, back way back in the day when I first saw my first Whoopi Goldberg movie, which is comedy, uh, before she was doing nun comedies, jumping, jumping Jack Flash, uh, uh, way back in the day. I think Bobcat Goldthwait was in that one. Uh, but then we get another really good scene with Worf. Uh, oh, first we have a Wesley scene, though. And it's a short one. Mom and Wes are there. She kind of holds the card and the stick, and Wesley kind of has this look of, uh, as the scene plays out, this look of joy, but stunned, like stunned, pleased, and joy at the same time. Uh, that this is clearly a special moment, because Mom calls him and goes, Jeez, Mom, what do you mean, message? And again, I already guess I know how strong Dr. Crusher's mental, emotional makeup is after Remember Me. But she says, geez, I don't know what's this message because I haven't listened to it. It's your father's for you. 
he made it a, a couple weeks after you were born. And Wesley says, she says, why? And she goes, well, he thought it was important to tell, say something to you and make sure he didn't forget to tell you later. I mean, this one kind of makes me think, geez, I wish I had this idea. I'm, I'm no Jack Crusher. I'll tell you that. Uh, I'm a Jack <laughs> with three, letter, three letters after that. And this A double. <laughs> uh, but then Wesley says, well, do, do you know what it says? She goes, no, no, no. But he wanted you to have it when you turned 18. And I want you to have it too. And this is kind of a kick for someone who's just started watching the show in a f- for a couple of years. It's like Wesley's, our little Wesley's all, we're already grown up, already 18. And uh, that's the end of the scene. Let's see the run through here. Dr. Crusher kind of has this awkward smile on her face. She's looking down and then trying to make eye contact with Wes. And the shot's over Wesley's shoulder right now. But uh, he's kind of leaning in, but his posture's not super erect. Now he's standing. They're both standing, and he's looking down. This is when he gets this good look on his face. He knows this is a special moment for him. And he actually it seems like he's feeling or acting, I mean, good acting, like the, the mixed range of emotions. Then we go straight into this uh, wharf scene, which if you do yourself a favor and watch it right before 30-minute mark of the episode. Like, a couple mind-blowing seconds. First off, we have Worf in the mirror, like, doing some beard grooming or something. But then it, like, reveals where he's doing his beard grooming. He's in this strange chair. And again, I guess because I don't know anything about Klingons. Uh, like, like a chair that, like, in the mirror is also a sculpture, and his chair is a sculpture. His chair looks like... Both these things look like like if you were to say a 1980s a stereotypical yuppie. Like, so if you had an 80s rom-com, like, I guess, like, the most, like, I don't know how many people saw National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but uh, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus play and her husband play, like, yuppies. I think that's an 80s movie. And maybe they're, like, but, like, uh, just, like, this strange ultra-modern like, he's got this grooming mirror, but it's in his living room on a, like, metal sculpture. Then he has this chair. It's a black chair. It's shaped like a human hand so that you'd sit in the palm of the hand. But the hand is like a, it's a black uh, metal sculpture with balloons on it. So the fingers would be topped. With, like, it doesn't look like a human hand. It's shaped like one. It more looks like just a... Like if you were make black metal human hand, like just like really bad modern uh, art. And now they see, I don't know if this is Worf's place, gigantic uh, crew quarters on the ship. Uh, but now they're in Worf's like private part. Like I don't know if it's his bedroom. They're sitting down, Worf's talking, but looking away from them. Really intense look. Uh, now he sits down with his parents and his mom has... Uh, very caring look, uh, and Worf kind of has, uh, like, a more vulnerable look. The father kind of has, a like, uh, mom's now, like, getting close to tearing up. Uh, even Worf is. Uh, the father's got a very calming, uh, you know, he's got a beard, so he has a little bit less range, you know, ability to show, but his eyes are really showing caring. And I don't know if this is pathos, pathos or pathos, but I think Worf has a lot of pathos in his face right now. Um, now, he's, now he's glaring, though, but I don't think it's a glare. It actually isn't a glare. It's just I'm mistaking it for a glare. 
and the parents are making one last loving overture, and Worf's accepting it uh, with a bit like a very, and now they're all holding hands, all of them. A uh, really beautiful moment. Uh, so let's see, what are my notes? Worf's grooming his beard in the mirror. A doorbell rings, he yells, enter, like, because he always over-talks. I put hold, which must meant hold the phone. 1980s ultra-modern yuppie hand balloon chair. And the mirror is a sculpture. And they say, are we disturbing you? And someone, I think Worf says, I thought you were going to your quarters to sleep. Uh, and then they said, no, 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 we're here to tuck you in. And then this is, we'll get into the dialogue, but he says something like, geez, when I heard you were on the visitor's wish uh, list, I'm not sure uh, I wanted you to come. And his face at this is really good. And then they say, you're our son. And that's when they all hold hands. Uh, but yeah, let's see. Worf says, enter. Sergei says, are we disturbing you? Worf says, no, but I thought you were going to sleep. They say, yeah, we came in to tuck you in. They really said that. I thought I was joking. And then Worf says, yeah, when I saw you on list, I wasn't sure I wanted you to come, but now I'm glad you're here. And the mom, Helena, says that we had to come. And the father underlined this by saying, our son was in trouble. We read about the discommendation. And, like, this is paraphrasing, but my mom says, well, we didn't understand it totally. The father said we didn't have to because we know the kind of man you are. Mom says, whatever you did, we know everything you do is for a good reason. And then this is just really human. I mean, even though he's calling it, Worf says, I must bear my dishonor alone. I mean, this scene, I mean, I guess all three of these plot points really define family in a different way. And, I mean, I guess like a, like an, an unidealized, an idealized, unidealized version, I guess, you know what I'm saying? I mean, because it's TV. But he says, I must bear my dishonor alone. And the father says, that's not true. And the mom says, I'm sorry if it's human of us, uh, but if you're hurting, you must remember we are with you. And holy cow, I'm get, I don't know why I'm getting so emotional, but because I guess because I've had this push-pull with people in my life, I guess. Who would have thought I'd be projecting on Star Trek characters to grapple with my internal emotions? But uh, and the father says, we're proud of you and we love you. And the mom says, you're our son. And, and, and I mean, I guess you can look at it in a cynical, trite way. But that's not the job of my pie. You know, my pie, I guess this is, my, you know, the benefit of being, uh, like, making a sleep podcast is to really just enjoy it. Uh, and they all lock hands. And it really, uh, really was wonderful. And, I mean, I'm saying this genuinely because, it, like, it's amazing me, like, enjoying Star Trek. Because, really, I think when I was a t angsty teen, one of the reasons I passed it over was because it felt too sweet and 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 trite or something and i'm realizing uh i don't know i guess when you have when you have so much emotion like this well jesus the opportunity for me to project uh and grapple with stuff through wharf this is what an opportunity but yeah just a really nice moment and let's see i'm watching the picard mud fight right now in the background and right now is the laughing scene and I think we're getting close to finishing this up here. We got uh, the next scene is with uh, Wesley outside. And he says, load program crusher one. 
And I mean, talk about mind boggling what's about to happen. Wesley says, program, the computer says, program ready, enter when ready. And, uh, Wesley walks in and, uh, who's standing there, but his father at uh, like a very young age, age when Wesley was born 18 years ago. So I don't know how his father was like, he looks pretty young though. And due to strapping, I mean, this guy, he like a great casting, um, so Wesley goes, but he goes, run program. And then the dad's there, and he's his dad's talking to a camera. Uh, like, so, you know, maybe the technology was different, or maybe, I don't know, but he's looking into a camera uh, to make eye contact directly with Wesley. And, I mean, she's like, maybe, she can't, I don't know if Counselor Troy and, and uh, Will are gone, but maybe she should keep Counselor Troy or Guinan close by for these kind of things. Uh, but Wesley's father says, Hey, hello, Wesley. I'm making this recording. You're 10 weeks old. And I just want you to know who I am right now. He goes, cause by the time you watch this, you know, I won't exist. Uh, I mean, which he meant in a different way because he says, I'll be older, more experienced and a little wiser, hopefully. Uh, but this person will be gone. And I wanted to know what your father was like when I came into this world he says, Jesus, when I see you lying there in my in your crib, I realize I don't like I don't barely know how to be a father. So let me apologize for all my mistakes. Uh, I guess this this sounds sadder than the scene was. Um, uh, or Wesley's kind of taking it. He's just more absorbing it. And we'll go through the visuals in a second. But he goes, Jesus, I hope uh, you don't uh, grow up resenting the fact I was gone so much. Uh, Kind of comes with the uniform. He goes, I don't know if I can explain what Starfleet means to me, but maybe you'll understand one day. Maybe you'll even want to put one of these uniforms on, or maybe you'll be a doctor like your mother, which makes me believe that like she wasn't in Starfleet originally. I don't know that, though. He goes, you're only a baby, but it's, uh, you're remarkable. I can see your face, in your face, all the people I've loved in my lifetime. Your mother, my father, and mother are family. And he says, I can see me in you too, and I can feel that you're my son. I don't know how to describe it, but there's this connection, this bond. I'll always be a part of you, Wesley. Well, I hope this made sense to you. I'm not sure it makes sense to me, but maybe next time I'll do a better job. Love you, Wesley. And Wesley says, goodbye, Dad. And that's the end of that scene. And here we are, we're watching the run-through. Wesley looks really stressed as he's going in. He's like, uh, like he's holding his breath, uh, and his frown, his mouth's a little bit open, he's gulping. I don't know, I never noticed this, but he does look a little bit, he has a little bit of Ralph Macchio in him, a little bit. And he's got his hair, you know, his hair is good, looks good. He's run program, now he's facing his father. Wesley's hands are tight, uh, balled up, bunched up. Uh, his tentative steps as his father stands proudly. His shoulders a little bit slumped forward as his father stands taut. And his father's definitely, I mean, his father's older, but he's also very broad, you know, barrel. It's his dad has barrel chest, uh, but it's very similar haircuts, uh, also, he's in that blank holodeck with the black and yellow stripes or the black squares with the yellow stripes. Uh, 
which would be probably better than like their living room or something. Better to see him in an unreal situation. Wesley's like now his face is a line as his dad's talking. His dad's looking down every once in a while. I don't know if he wrote a script for this. Uh, now it's kind of feeling like they're talking to one another. And now Wesley just did the Picard shirt pull down when his dad mentioned the uniform. Now his dad's kind of making eye contact with him and not the camera, but I don't know if that Wesley was just Wesley's positioning. And the dad's kind of shaking his head as he talks. I do that a lot, too. Uh, now Wesley's he's got a tiny, he's, he's turning tiny into a smile. I mean, his lips a little bit, almost. Or he's soaking it in, looking down. Maybe he's not going to smile because he just looked down and... But, I mean, I think it's a good moment, especially if he's 18, to, like, tra- transition him. Uh, but he's still, like, a little bit. He went to shake or touch his dad, and then his, the program ends and his dad vanishes, and then they zoom. Well, I never noticed, like, I mean, I didn't put that in the notes. He says, uh, oh, yeah, here we go. He faces, I love you, Wesley. And Wesley reaches out and tries to grasp his father, but the image vanishes. And he says, goodbye, Dad. So, yeah, that was, that was a you know, tough moment, uh, but also a healing moment. Uh, then we have Worf uh, saying goodbye to his parents, so walking down the hall with them. Something I can't read from here. Cook Cooks both ways, pie. <laughs> These have notes. Tay, T-E-Y, cross paths with Picard. Sergey tries to get a bigger tour, and the door cuts him off. So let's see the dialogue. Oh, his mom says, do you want us to send anything from home? He goes, yeah, send me some pie, Or says. And the mom says, okay, it's been a while, but I think I can still make that uh, Klingon pie. And uh, then Worf, then that's when they see Picard. He says, welcome back. And he goes, these are my parents. Uh, and they shake hands. He goes, delighted. And Sergei says, you got quite a ship here, Captain. And Picard says, have you had the full tour? And Sergei says, well, because of the repairs, I didn't get to see everything. And then the mom says, Sergei, let's go. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I have all the specs and diagrams at home. And let's see, just see the runter if we pick up anything, because this is the end of the episode. We get one more shot of Earth and the ship. They're all walking. Worf and his mom have their hands behind the back. And the dad kind of, he's a little bit, him and the mom are a little bit closer together. The dad's standing a little bit off. uh, And then they're all laughing about the pie. And now they're crossing paths uh, as a family with uh, Picard. And Picard seems pleased uh, to meet them. They bow and shake hands when they shook hands with Picard. O'Brien's watching in the background, too. And uh, then they say, well, no, the dad says, and they say, come on, let's go. And Sergei's still talking to Picard, and the scene comes to a close. And then the episode closes with the child, you know, looking up at the stars. Uh, so a good episode, a good episode about family, a good episode about Star Trek, and uh, a good night.